Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you for joining me for another podcast. Uh, I'm just thrilled with uh, how you've gone out of your way to just distribute the podcast and just everywhere in the world that this podcast is now reaching. It's truly amazing to me. Um, thank you so much again for all your help in uh, posting it and getting word on whatever your platforms are out about the podcast. That means the world to me. And thank you for just helping us raise up leaders in so many different venues and so many different places. Hey, today I want to talk to you about what I call the Jesus model. Uh, the Jesus model is just taken from some thoughts that have always guided my life uh, when it comes to how we conduct ourselves and maybe the motivation points, the tipping points, the areas that tend to uh, be the launching pads for what we do, how we do. And at times there are uh, the points that uh, sort of cut through the confusion when life gets a little bit uh, muddy and uh, maybe uh, perspective gets lost a little bit. So uh, the Jesus model, what I want to give you is I want to give you 10 points, 10 things that Jesus said that I think in a leadership capacity, especially from a ministry perspective, we always have to remember and we always have to keep in mind. So let's get going. The first one. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, it says, And then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Man, what a wonderful verse, but the thought really does define for us. The thought is simply this. Number one, there are never enough workers, but don't let that stop you. One of the things that Jesus was honest about is that there's always a lot to do in the harvest field. There's so many opportunities. There's so many ways in which you can go. Uh, but don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated if you look around and you say, man, if we had 10 more people to help us, if we had 50 more people that would just commit to this... He just made it clear. He said, you know, the harvest is truly great. It's bigger than you can imagine, but the laborers are few. There are not always going to be the people that you think you need. But what he was saying is this, don't let the number of people you have stop you from doing what you can do. He was very descriptive in this. He said, launch into it. You may not be able to do everything you want to do or everything you think you should do or everything you feel like you should do, but what you can do is you can do what you want to do. And I say that to you because um, I'm around a lot of people and, and, and sometimes uh, people just lament, well, we could do this or we could do that if we just had a few more people, if a few more people would just come in. And I think all that's good, but he's giving us the reality check. And the reality check is we're always going to have more to do than we feel like we have people to do it with. So with that being said, he says, hey, don't let that stop you. Do what you can, get out there, accomplish what you can with whoever you have, and just get out there and do it. And so one of the things that has always guided me is that 
uh, we've always looked around and said, man, if we had a few more children's workers, if we had a few more youth workers, if we had a few more people helping here or there, man, we would be able to do so much. But in all of that lamenting, we're not to lose sight of the harvest that's before us. So simple thought, there are never enough workers, but don't let that stop you. Jesus was honest about that. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Then Mark chapter 10 and verse 14. But when he saw it, he was greatly displeased. Now, I don't know about you. uh, My vision of Jesus is the happy Jesus, the positive Jesus, the caring Jesus. I probably don't want to see the displeased Jesus, the Jesus that's a little bit uh, frustrated with how things are going. But in this verse, it says, but when he saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, talking to his disciples, let the children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Um, Point number two is this, aggressively value the marginalized and the overlooked. One of the things that uh, we see throughout the gospels is that Jesus always prioritized the people that most people would walk by, people that uh, other people wouldn't uh, give the time of day to, that Jesus was always cognizant of those. One of the most famous stories, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, that whole story is about someone going out of their way to help someone they didn't know. And there wouldn't necessarily be any benefit to them. And so the Bible says, aggressively value the marginalized. And during this period of time, there was no one more marginalized than kids. See, back then, kids were a commodity. It wasn't like it is today that children were valued as a part of the family and just uh, raising them to adulthood. Kids were seen as an opportunity. In fact, in the Roman Empire, it wasn't uncommon that if someone had a child that maybe had some kind of deformity or something that didn't seem to uh, be right, uh, that literally that child would be let out into the wilderness and left there. Um, It was because children weren't valued. And what Jesus was saying is, I want you to value what no one else values. And I want you to place a high priority on that. I want you to value the kids. I want you to value the fact that uh, there are people that this world overlooks. They overlook the widows. They overlook the kids. They overlook the poor. They overlook. And he was constantly reminding people of not overlooking people that many times are easy to overlook. So he said, hey, when I was in prison, did you visit me? When I was hungry, did you feed me? And so one of the values throughout the gospel is aggressively value the marginalized and the overlooked. So two points, the Jesus model. There's never enough workers, but don't let that stop you. Aggressively value the marginalized and the overlooked. Don't get so caught up in all of the people that are out on the horizons that you think can benefit you, that you ignore the people that God wants you to be a benefit for. I realize that we live in a time where uh, the corporate mentality has, uh, you know, seeped into the church in many ways. 
And in fact, some people have accused me of teaching that because of the volume with which I talk about leadership. But here's one of the things that I tell everyone. You can learn principles of leadership from the world, but you can only learn the heart of leadership from God. Jesus is the only one that can teach us a heart that says, yeah, sometimes you look at certain people and there's not an upside for you. You can't see how they're going to help you. You can't see how it's going to benefit you. But God says, I've asked you to do things in a way that you're going to help people who may never benefit you. You're going to help the hurting. You're going to help the kids. You're going to help people that are on the margins of life, aggressively value the marginalized and the overlooked. Another thing, prioritize the lost and never forget them. In Luke chapter 15, we're all familiar that there are um, a series of three stories. In the first one, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost? Or the woman in verse 8 who has 10 silver coins and if she loses one, and then in verse 32 about the prodigal son, it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. You know, one of the things that God asks us to do is to prioritize the lost and never forget them. You know, if there's anything that I believe is a leader's job, the leader's job is to represent people who are never going to be in the room, to raise their hand and to say, represent me. And what I know is that in my congregation, there's always going to be people who are going to be pushing me to do more for the men's ministry, the ladies' ministry, this ministry, that ministry. But you know who's not there? Lost people. See, lost people don't come to business meetings. Lost people don't come to organizational meetings. Why? That's not who they are. They're lost. And so my job is to make sure that the lost don't get lost in my organization, that somehow I let all the people who are found take up all the time, all the energy, all the income, all the funds, all of the plots, all the planning, all the preparation, and somehow we do not prioritize the loss. Uh, Lyle Schaller said years ago, he said, for every 12 hours, any group in a church meets, there needs to be one hour of effective evangelism. Now, he said that for a couple of reasons. One, there's a propensity of a lot of us to get really consumed with our groups, and pretty soon we get sort of insulated, and we're no longer focusing on the very people Jesus came for when he said, I came to seek and to save those that are lost. And so one of the compelling needs of anyone, as much as we love to teach the Bible, as much as we love to reach out and to learn, one of the things that we have to do is we have to remember that Jesus came for people who were lost, who don't even know they're lost. And my job and your job is to remember any organization that is to be built for God doesn't overlook the people for whom God came. So prioritize the lost and never forget them. Number four, if people don't come to you, then you go to them. 
In Luke chapter 14 and verse 23, it says, Then the master said to the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Pretty interesting statement. Uh, it's talking about if you throw an event and you throw a party and the people that are supposed to be there don't show up, he he says, don't just sit there and say, man, look at what's happening. The house isn't full. He says, go into the highways and byways. Go out to them and compel them. Here's the thing. We are always to be building bridges. We're always to be finding ways that we reach out into our community and we begin to impact people's lives. That when they will not come to our destination, we somehow go to their destination. See, one of the wonderful things that God decided to do was he said, I'm going to put people undercover in various positions. So in my community, we have Frito-Lay not far from us, its headquarters. God chose to put people in positions at Frito-Lay that love God. Now they're undercover, but through their influence, they impact. The same thing with any other organization that we might know. Why? Because if people don't come to us, we're to go to them. Can I tell you something? Uh, we have a lot of services. We have a lot of prayer times. But if the services we conduct and the prayer times we have are not bringing the fruit that we need, then we're to go and we're to compel people. We're to find ways to connect people. So four principles. There's never enough workers. Don't let that stop you. Aggressively value the marginalized and the overlooked. Prioritize the loss. Never forget them. If people don't come to you, then you go to them. Number five, Luke chapter nine and verse 62. But Jesus said, knowing having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. What is he saying? He says, if you're going to do kingdom work, then you're going to have to stay focused. You're going to have to stay focused and you're going to have to refuse to look back. You know, I tell people when I teach pastors, if there's two things I would look for in any uh, person I hire, it would be the ability to sacrifice, to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. That's why it's a sacrifice. And then to focus, to keep your attention on what's important, even when things around you could distract you. So if we go back to the leadership uh, lesson of Joshua 1, God told Joshua, don't look to the right hand, don't look to the left. What we know in the Bible is the right hand was the hand of honor. It was the hand of good. The left hand was the hand of dishonor. So what God was saying to Joshua, don't get distracted by good things. Don't get distracted by bad things. You have a job to do. Do your job. Don't get distracted. Man, we live in the day where there are so many things that can distract us. Our cell phones, our emails, all of those kind of things that just distract us. But here's the thing. God wants people who can set their hand to the plow. They don't get distracted by the wind. They don't get distracted by people. They don't get distracted by circumstances. They do what they're supposed to do and they get the job done. Number six, 
and Luke 22 and verse 42. Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What does that say? Simply this, pursue God's will, not your will. You know, I'm frequently asked by young people, well, if I do this, will that fulfill my dream and my vision? And I look at them and I said, I can't tell you that we're going to do anything that's going to fulfill your dream and your vision. The reason being is that God didn't ask me to fulfill anyone else's dream and vision. He asked me to fulfill his dream and his vision. And what God said is, my pursuit is the will of God. Not my will, but your will be done. And every leader has to come to the place that they begin to have an environment where basically they say, hey, um, it's not going to be about me. As we said for years, when you become a leader, you lose the right to think about yourself. Leaders don't get to have their own agenda. They don't have to get to have a selfish idea. What they get to do is say, what's best for God? What's best for the kingdom? And what's best for others? And that's what Jesus prayed. He said, Lord, if, if this could happen another way, let it happen that way. But above all, I want the will of God. I believe that that is the most powerful prayer that any leader can pray. That that is the prayer that is the foundation stone of the heartbeat of leadership. Not my will, but your will be done. And every day I think we get up and we start and we say, God, I have great ideas. But regardless how great my ideas are, Lord, I want your will above all. I have some great things I want to accomplish, but no matter what I want to accomplish, God, here it is. I just want to tell you right now, I want your will, not my will, to be done. Number seven, create teams who can succeed without you. Man, that was the whole model of Jesus. Jesus knew that his ministry down here on earth was going to be short-lived, literally, that he was going to be there for three and a half years. And during that three and a half years, he was going to be, um, you know, pouring himself into a group of people. And so in Luke chapter 10 and verse uh, one and two, it says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and every place that he was about to go. What did he know? He knew that he needed to create teams that could succeed without you. Uh, to me, the ultimate test of leadership is this. What happens when you're not in the room? What happens when you're not there? If the ministry falls, then maybe the leadership equation was ignored. We have to create teams that can succeed. Uh, the biblical model is we decrease that he might increase. The best success of anyone in leadership is, is that things happen even though the leader, he or she herself, are not in that room. So create teams that can succeed, develop the, the possibilities, the plans, uh, prepare for it, create it. Number eight, in Mark chapter eight, it says, 
excuse me, Mark chapter 4. It says, But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. Um, most of you know what this is. This is the parable of the sower sows the word. The interesting thing about this is that this is a story that Jesus told. And then he gave his own commentary on it. Unlike a lot of the parables where he tells them and there's a conclusion we can draw, he sort of gets us to the place where he says, this is the conclusion. And in this story, he says, hey, this is how the kingdom of God works. It works that a man puts out seed. And as they put out seed, what's going to happen is some of that seed's going to go places that are going to be less than productive. In fact, he's going to mention four different types of ground. And of the four different types of ground, uh, three of them are going to fail. So the principle is this. Understand the math and how it works. That if you're going to lead, you're going to be involved in a lot of things that aren't going to succeed. You're going to be involved in a lot of things that are going to fail. You're going to be involved in a lot of things that are not going to be fruitful. But that's all right. See, sometimes people say, well, I want to lead, but, but I'm afraid if I do something wrong and it doesn't work. Well, Jesus said, there's a lot of things that you're going to do that aren't going to work. In fact, in this math equation, if we take it literally, 75% of everything wasn't going to work. Now, I've done what I do for a long period of time. And what I can tell you is I've done a lot of things that didn't work. And it's amazing how many things that were good ideas that didn't bear fruit. But that's all right. You don't get discouraged by that. Here's what you understand about the math. You understand that there's more failure than there is success when you put it to a math equation, but the fruit is more powerful than your failure. Because what he did say is there's about 25% of the ground that will bear fruit. And that 25% of the ground, it's going to bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. So again, if we take it as a literal math equation, what we know is that there's about 8.33% of this ground that's going to produce at the highest capacity ever. See, there are people who get very upset. Well, I have people that just aren't living up to 30, 60, and 100 fold. Well, I have people that aren't doing everything they should 30, 60, and 100 fold. Well, you know, I have people out there that uh, they could do more. 30, 60, and 100 fold. What God says is you're going to be involved in ministry. There's going to be a lot of things that don't work. There's going to be some things that work, some things that work a little bit, some things that work a little more, and then some things that are highly effective and work very, very well. You've got to understand the math. Don't get discouraged by the circumstance of failure. Understand that the fruit of the 8% will take over the failure of the other percentage. And so understand the math and how it works. Another principle, principle number nine, Luke 14 and verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Uh, the principle is simple. 
Jesus asks us to be decisively strategic. Uh, in life, there are a lot of faith decisions. And we sit there and we always trust God. But sometimes we've got to make some calculations. And the calculations are this. Is this a reasonable step for our faith? Is this a realistic step for our faith? And so what we know is, is that uh, there are people that sometimes jump off a ledge in the name of God and they didn't calculate that gravity was going to pull them at such a speed and that it was going to be devastating to them. But God asked us to be decisively strategic. Can we do what we're doing? And can't do we have that ability to get that done to a high level? And so he asked us to be decisively strategic. He asked us to count the cost, to calculate the equation. And so it's all right as a leader sometimes to sit there and say, hey, um, you know, how is this going to play out? If we get into this, are we going to have what we need to accomplish what we're trying to do? Now, again, you may not be able to accomplish all of it, but there needs to be a reasonable step of faith where you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, look at this. We can accomplish this or we cannot accomplish this. Number 10, John chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Number 10, appreciate big days. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we celebrated Easter. I call it the Super Bowl of the church. It's when every church is going to have about 80% of its people show up and people are going to bring friends and people are going to bring visitors and people who don't usually attend are going to attend. And it's going to be a gigantic day. But when you have a big day, what a big day is, is it shows you the future. So pastors get all excited and they say, man, we had this many people. But what it shows you is what the future's like. It shows you for you to have that many people on a regular basis, that's how many ushers you'd have to have. That's how many greeters you would have to have. That's how many volunteers you would need in nursery and children's and youth. That's how many people that you would need and what it does is it gives you a glimpse of the future. It also lets your team see the level of work that's going to be required to get to that future. So on that last day, the great day of the feast, this was one of the days when Jewish men were required to be there. It was one of the great feast days. Everything was bigger. Everything seemed greater. But what big days show us is they show us what the future looks like what the future feels like, and what we're going to have to do to be able to reach that future. So, when you have a big day, you don't just want to celebrate it, you want to learn from it. Those big days create a margin for you where you get a glimpse and your team. So don't waste big days. Use those big days to learn and to ask the tough questions. Can we do this? Can we keep doing it? And Will we do it in such a way that we can achieve this on a regular basis? The Jesus model, it's always guided me. It's always been simple thoughts that will bring me back to, uh, you know, the base of where I need to be. 
Ten simple thoughts. There's never enough workers. We always lament it, but don't let that stop you. Aggressively value the marginalized and the overlooked. Don't get so busy in life, don't let your organization do, that you can't help people who need to be helped. Prioritize the lost and never forget them. Make sure that lost people are always in the forefront. And then, if people don't come to you, figure out how you can get to them. Figure out and plan how you're able to do that. Stay focused and refuse to look back. Don't let anything distract you from the mission at hand. Stay on target and make sure that you complete the mission. Pursue God's will, not yours. Make this about what God wants, not what you want. Create teams who can succeed without you. The ultimate measure of a leader is what happens when the leader's not there. Understand the math and how it works. You're going to do a lot of things that don't work, but that's all right. What does work is worth putting up with the things that don't work. And be decisively strategic. Make wise calculations. Bring wisdom to the table. And then appreciate the big days. Let them be a mirror of the future so that you can see and learn. I hope this helped you. These are guide points for me that have served me well over the years that I've done what I do. And I want to thank you again for getting word out about the podcast. Thank you for making a difference in so many people's lives. And as I love to say, thank you for making the kingdom of God better and heaven bigger. And if you'd like to know where I'm going to be or any resources that we have, you can go to Gerald Brooks Ministries and... uh, There you can get a full listing of where I'm going to be speaking. I think in a few weeks I'll be in Birmingham, then I'll be in Oakland, California, and then I'll be in uh, Clovis, New Mexico. All of those are great pastoral meetings. So I just want to encourage you to come and be a part. Thank you again for all that you do. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com. 